0: This is the day the Lord has made. I'm reading today out of the book of John, Gospel according to John chapter 19 and verse 17, and going to put a conclusion to this three-week series I did called Hills and Valleys. Someone say hills and valleys. Hills and valleys. And the Lord led me to this passage of Scripture, and it's fitting as we look forward to... Resurrection Sunday that we look at the text before us today because I'm going to tell you something that there is no resurrection without a cross. There is no burial and resurrection without a cross. And this afternoon we're going to go to that place where Jesus gave himself for us. Bible reads this, and he Bearing his cross, went out to a place called the place of the skull, which is called in Hebrew, Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side and Jesus in the center. I'm going to preach today on this thought a heel to die on, a heel to die on. Would you pray with me just for a moment? Father, I thank you for your spirit that we feel in this place today. Lord, we will never, never uh, overlook, God, what you do in our midst and how you come and visit us each and every time, God. And so we thank you, Father. We thank you, Lord, for your presence we feel. But now as we step into this next phase, We ask, God, that you would speak to us, that you would transform us, that you would do a work in our lives, and that before this service is over, we leave more than just excited, more than just hypeful, but hopeful for what you're going to do in our lives. Father, we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone say amen. You may be seated in his presence. One time during an intense conversation where I took A strong position it was one of those uh heated conversations someone asked me this question they said are you sure that this is a heel you want to die on and i confess that at the time i didn't know what that meant but i later learned that that phrase a heel to die on refers to how important it is to choose your battles And how we must assess our actions and our decisions to see if it is worth the effort it's going to take. I learned that any hill you die on is a place of great conviction. Any hill you choose to die on is any stance you're willing to fight for. Any ground or conviction that you're willing to fight for no matter what it costs you amen and by that standard i suppose that many of the battles that we fight in our lives wouldn't qualify i think there's only maybe a handful of heels maybe just one or two just very few heels in life that i personally i don't know about you but that i personally would be willing to die on things that i would be willing to sacrifice everything for Amen. And I think that puts it, uh, life into perspective. Amen. Even before I get into the heart of the message today that we ought to assess the battles that we're fighting in our life. And many of the things that we entangle ourselves uh, in are just not hills that we are really willing to die on. So we must ask, is it even worth it at all? Amen. Is it even worth it? But there are some hills. Amen. There are some places in our, I, I would say that, that my family, amen, my children uh, and their future, I think that for me, in fact, I know that's a hill I'm willing to die on. Is there any parenting here today that would agree with me on that? And when it comes to your children, there are, that's just a hill you're willing to die on. I believe that, that, that the gospel, amen, that the doctrine, that the word of God, that that's a, that's a hill that I'm willing to fight for no matter what it costs me, amen. And, and I'm telling you, after that, there's just a, a few more things that maybe I'm willing to, but there isn't much. There isn't much after that. And yet, any hill that I would die on personally, whether it's literally or figuratively, would pale in comparison to the hill where our Lord Jesus gave his life. Calvary in Latin, Golgotha in Hebrew, they both refer to the same hill known as the place of the skull. Because of how the hill was shaped, it resembled a human skull. If you look at this hill today, some of the, the some of the look and some of the features of the hill may not be so prominent as they were 2,000 years ago. But, but 2,000 years ago, this hill uh, was identifiable from uh, even a distance as the hill of the skull. And so, therefore, it gained that reputation, that moniker. Such a morbid description seems to fit the place that has become synonymous with the crucifixion of Jesus Christ with the cross of Christ the place where Jesus chose to die the place where he bled and died for our sins it seems fitting in my mind and in my estimation that the the hill called the place of the skull which just has a a a morbid connotation to it a deathly uh significance to it would be the place where our Lord Jesus would hang his head and be nailed to a cross in order to die for our sins. And I don't believe that it's a coincidence that this was the place where Jesus would take his last breath. That this would be the place where the ultimate price would be paid for our sins. Of all the places, or even in the, in the world, or even in the Middle East, where Jesus could have been crucified, he chose this hill near Jerusalem. This this place would be the place of and the site of his shame that would display openly for the world to see. It would be the setting of his affliction. It would be the location of his ultimate sacrifice. The place where the spotless lamb would be led to the slaughter. The place where, as Isaiah portrayed, he would be wounded for our transgressions, that he would be bruised for our iniquities, that the chastisement of our peace would be upon his shoulders, and by his stripes we are healed. Somebody say amen today. This would be the place that he would pay the ultimate price, not a valley, not a desert, not a plain, but a hill, a hill far away, a hill where that rugged cross would be planted in the ground like a tree, and two criminals on each side would be hung and suspended between heaven and earth, and that our Lord and Savior, an innocent man, a man that had done no wrong and found no fault in him, this man, this God man, this uh, Jehovah, this Elohim, this great I am robed in human flesh would come and pay the ultimate price today. And so I very much today want to elevate that hill. There's a lot of hills in the world beautiful mountains with scenic uh, 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 arrangements of flowers and trees and grasslands and and beautiful uh, uh, sceneries and waterfalls and nature there's a lot of hills that you can go to in this world and be mesmerized by their beauty and, and take pictures and and send them and and there's a lot of hills that mountain climbers would would want to climb and plant their flag and conquer and there's a lot of uh, summits all throughout the world uh, that are that are famous and that are notorious, But, but the hill that I've come today to preach about, in my estimation, is a hill that has no rival and has no equal, and it is not beautiful for the flowers that decorate its hillside. It is not beautiful for the way that it is set against the backdrop of Palestine. It is not beautiful for its topography and for its trees and for how wonderful it is to This hill is beautiful in my faith and in my heart today for the simple fact that it is the place where our Lord Jesus Christ went and to die in order to redeem us from our sin. And so for that reason, I want to elevate this hill in our hearts today. Somebody give God some praise. It's just my conviction that there's no other heel like this hill. It's just my conviction that of all the heels, if that heel had a voice today, if that heel had a personality, if that heel could talk, the hill would probably say, why would you choose me? Why not the Swiss Alps? Why not Mount Everest? Why not some other beautiful place? Why me? Why did you choose to die in this place? And I want to today paint for you a picture. I want to take you all the way to the Middle East, all the way 2,000 years ago. I want to take you up that hill called Calvary, that hill of the skull, that hill of Golgotha. I want to take you up to that place today and show you why It is possibly that the Lord chose this location, this hill to die on. And when we go up and when we follow Jesus up to Golgotha, the place of the hill today, can I borrow your mind's eye? Can I borrow your imagination? And would you take up this journey with me? Would you walk up the hillside with me to the top of Mount Calvary? And would you get with me? a vista, a view of our salvation today. If we would go up that hill, I believe there are some things that would come to our understanding. There are some things, there is a perspective that we will gain from the hilltop of Golgotha. Can I preach this today? Somebody say, go ahead. The first thing we will see is that this hill was located outside of the gate. When you go up to the hilltop of Golgotha, First thing you notice is that it is not located within the limits of the old city of Jerusalem. It is outside of the walls. The first thing we must pause to consider today is the location of Calvary, of Golgotha in proximity to the city of Jerusalem. This storied city with ancient roots and great narratives throughout the word of God. This place called Zion in the Old Testament, this place called the City of David, this holy city that occupies a very important place in the mind of both the Jewish believer and the Christian believer. This place, uh, this place that is so special to God, yet it was outside of that city where we see the cross, it is fixated there as a permanent fixture throughout biblical history and prophecy. There is no debate in my mind about the significance uh, historically and prophetically the the city of Jerusalem. There is no debate in my mind how important of a city it was. Yet all of the gospels will tell us uh, from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John uh, that Jesus chose not to be crucified there within the city, but they would all indicate to us that he was led outside. Someone say outside. He was led outside the city walls. I believe that there is a great spiritual analogy in all of that. I believe that because Jesus was crucified outside of the city walls, the placement of that cross in relation to the headquarters of all religious activity. You've got to understand that in Jerusalem was the temple. The temple was the center of the Jewish faith. It was the headquarters of Judaism where all religious activity took place and you would think that if the God of all creation came to die for our sins that he would choose that place to be the place where he would uh, breathe his last breath but that's not where he went they took him outside and I believe that that illustrates uh, the whole mission of Christ you see Christ came uh, not just for the godly but he came primarily for the ungodly Ooh, my Lord he did not come to save so much the religious as he did the non-religious and the irreligious he came unto his own and his own received him not so where did he put his focus on he put his focus on whosoever will he put his focus on those that did not have a name that those that were not born into the lineage of the Jewish faith he put his focus on those Gentiles that are outside of the city walls and that my friend is you and friend is me and I thank God today that he died outside of the city walls so that he might redeem come on is there anybody excited today is there anybody that's got some praise in your heart today that he went outside of the walls that he might it's not random that God fulfilled Christ's atonement or that, or that Christ fulfilled his mission by going outside. There is a beautiful Old Testament picture that we find in the author of Hebrews attempts to connect these two events. Two events, an event in the Old Testament, an event here at the cross to help us understand the, the perfection of God's plan, fulfilling all the Old Testament systems of sacrifice. And he shows us here in Hebrews 13, 11, watch what he says, for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. This verse describes the sacrificial system of the Mosaic law in which the high priest once a year on the day of atonement would take that animal sacrifice and, and this animal sacrifice would be symbolic of the atoning or the covering of the sins of Israel, God's people, and they would take them outside, someone say outside, outside of the camp and the purpose for that was to illustrate, even if just in a figurative sense, symbolically how the sins of Israel were carried away outside and removed outside of their community because the purpose of God is not to leave us in our sinful state. The purpose of God is not to do a halfway work in our life, but he wants to scrub out and remove every iniquity, transgression and sin from our lives. Somebody say amen. And so they would take the sacrifice outside of the city gates and there. The sacrifice would be pleasing unto God and would cover the sins symbolically of the people of God. And so now we have a clear picture who Jesus being the fulfillment of all Old Testament and Mosaic law. Oh, hallelujah. He himself as the high priest. Oh, my Lord. If I had the time to teach it, I would because Christ is both the high priest and the sacrifice. That's a whole other lesson all by itself. But he is led to the outskirts of the city and just as the high priest would go and offer sacrifices watch what verse 12 says therefore Jesus also that he might sanctify the people with his own blood was suffered outside of the gate it was the divine plan of God which I hope excites you and motivates you today to take our sins and to suffer outside of the gate, so that you and I who found ourselves on the outside looking in found ourselves uh, hallelujah marginalized found ourselves on the fringes of heaven God said I love you enough to go to the outside so that I might bring you on the inside I wonder church if there are any redeemed people today any sanctified people today that can take 30 seconds. I want you for the next 30 seconds to give God some glory that He went to the outside of the gate. Come on, people of God. Can you lift up your voice? Can you lift up your hands? Can you shout hallelujah? Can you shout amen? Come on, shout hallelujah. Thanks be to God. He went outside the gates. He went outside the walls, the walls of Jerusalem, the walls of religion, the walls of of, of pedigree, the walls of exclusiveness. At Calvary's Hill, we see love without walls. We see grace without walls, mercy without walls. And I am grateful today for Calvary. I am grateful today for the for that for that hill of the skull because there outside of the gate, he bled and he died for us who were outside of the gate. Somebody say amen. Another view from Golgotha. Can I show you another view today? We're already standing on top of the hill. We might as well. I'll turn another direction and took all the gaze in to what Christ did for us at Calvary. Can I show you another view, amen? I want you also to see two gardens this afternoon. I want you to see that from the from the hilltop of Golgotha, there are two gardens. And the Bible tells us that that there, were, there was a garden there, amen? He tells us in John 19, uh, 41, it says this now in the place where where he was crucified, there was a garden. Someone say a garden. There was a garden in this place. There was a garden, and not just one, but two. And I'll show you what that means. But it seems uh, rather important that there was a garden there because all throughout Scripture, we see that God has an affinity with for gardens we see that God has a, there's a there's just something about gardens that plays an important role throughout biblical narratives it seems important because two of the most monumental historic events occurred in these places in fact one could argue that God's whole plan of redemption is but a tale of two gardens God's whole plan to redeem his people in the world and save us from our sin is really Really just the connecting point between Two gardens, amen. The first garden that we see is the garden found in the book of Genesis. God created Adam, and he placed them in the garden of Eden. And Eden was, for all intents and purposes, God's perfect plan on the earth, amen. Eden was God's perfect plan for man, and God placed Adam there. And and this was a beautiful place. It was paradise. It was heaven on earth. However, as we know, sin entered the world in this very same garden. This garden was darkened. This garden now all of a sudden becomes a place of iniquity. And now this once beautiful place has been blemished and damaged by sin because of Adam and Eve's disobedience. And they they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I I just want you to see the, the first garden today. I want you to see the first garden because you you see, I believe that while Jesus was hanging on the cross, I believe that while he... No, Mount Calvary is not that high, but from where Jesus was spiritually, he was in an elevated place. And I believe that in the mind of God, who exists in eternity, who has no start and no end, but exists in infinity, I believe... Uh, I don't have a verse to back it up, but I just see, looking at all the scripture, looking at what Jesus came to do, that as Jesus hung there on the cross... Uh, he didn't just see what was around him, but I believe that he was looking all the way back to the Garden of Eden because from that point on, sin entered the world. And I have one Bible I can tell you is that he is the lamb that was slain from the foundation, so from the world, from the, from the very beginning we see that God had his eyes on the Garden of Eden. And through this one single act, he had to come and undo everything that Adam and Eve did. But you've got to see that first garden because if you don't see that first garden today, church, then you won't appreciate the second garden in our eyes. You won't appreciate fully what the second garden represents. So we must understand there are two gardens. As Jesus is hanging there on Mount Golgotha, he in his mind's eye can see the Garden of Eden where his plan for man crumbled and man disobeyed obeyed him and how that must have broken his heart to see the perfect design go I it must have broken his heart but now he is here on Mount Calvary dying for the purpose of redeeming man and where did he choose to do it in another garden there he is there is a garden around him there is a garden there and I just cannot overlook the fact that in this garden jesus undid everything that the last garden put us into he brought us out of the dilemma that the last garden put us in he brought us out of the predicament that the last garden put us in i thank god today for the second garden i thank god today that he came to repair the Reach to redeem and restore us back to our original state with God. Clap your hands and give God some praise today plan of God was fulfilled through a second garden, the gardens of Calvary. And notice with me just for a few moments here, notice now the contrasting themes between these two gardens. I want you to appreciate the beauty of God's plan. I want you today to appreciate the richness of the scripture and how God has everything already worked out from the beginning to the end. And I want you to see how in the first garden, Adam went to a tree that led to his death. But in the second garden, Jesus went to a tree called the cross, and it led to our life. Hallelujah. I want you to see that in the first garden, Adam took a fall. But in the second garden, Jesus took a stand. I want you to see that in the first garden, sin overcame the world. But in the second garden, Jesus overcame sin. I, well, somebody would get excited with me today. In the first garden, he was paradise lost but in the second garden it was paradise found because jesus told the criminal next to him today you're gonna be with me in paradise somebody give god some praise today is there anybody that is thankful for the second garden somebody shout hallelujah Thank you, Jesus, for that garden. Oh, yes, oh, yes. He came to set the record straight. He came to put things back in order. He came, he said, through one man's disobedience in a garden brought death, but through another man's obedience in the garden brought life. And this is where we are today. As we stand atop of the hill of Golgotha, we see two gardens. Thank God for the second garden. Thank God for the hill. Thank God for the skill of the skull where Jesus died for our sins. Hallelujah. He chose a hill for its spiritual strategic location. Outside the city gates. I'm almost done here. Outside of the city gates. Praise God. Amen. Don't forget, it was outside of the gates. And also, it was in view of... Of the two gardens, Whew. the first and the second. Oh, but not just there. There's, there's, there's. One. Can we turn one other view? Can we look from Calvary's hilltop? One other place. Does, does anybody want to hear about possibly a third window that we can look through? There's another window on the hill of Calvary that I think. In the mind of every Christian, every believer today or every unbeliever today needs to see. And that is from the hilltop as Jesus hung suspended between heaven and earth. He overlooked from there the very site of his burial and resurrection. And so from there he saw the temporary tomb that would house his body for three days. As he is standing there, as he is uh, hanging there on the cross, not only was there a garden, but scripture says in verse 41 of John 19, and in the garden, it wasn't just a garden, uh, in the garden, a new tomb. Someone say a tomb, a new tomb in which no one had been. Late. I had always thought in my mind and assumed that Jesus' burial tomb was some far distant place away or some uh, place out of the eye's uh, vision from where Jesus died. I'd always assumed that the place where Jesus would be buried was not in the same vicinity of where he died. Uh, can't explain why I thought that way, but just that's just how I imagined it would be. But upon examining the topography of Calvary, upon looking. At the heel of the skull uh, more closely, I was surprised to learn just how close they are in proximity to each other. The garden tomb or the tomb of Joseph of Amerithea, the one who would lend his unused tomb to Jesus and his body, is what just but a short distance or a short glance away from where Jesus suffered. I want you today with your imagination, your mind's eye. In fact, some of you have even been there physically I want you to think about just the fact that as Jesus was dying on that cross that within his line of sight was the tomb where he would be buried I think it's incredible I think it's amazing to me that the eyes of our Savior as he was bleeding and dying for us that in that moment he could see the very place where they would lay him he would see the very place where his future was I think it is interesting it is more than interesting it is profound that the eyes of our Savior found and saw the very future that he would embrace just three days after his crucifixion oh I believe that there is something special here that even as Jesus was dying on the cross on top of Mount Golgotha in his line of sight he could already see the hope of his resurrection in his line of sight he can already see that what you see here is not the end were, oh my god somebody he had to know in his mind it looks bad right now i'm bleeding right now and yes i'm even going Somebody ought to clap your hands. Somebody ought to lift up your voice. Somebody ought to shout hallelujah. Because our God had a plan from the earth. What about Kaisha? Would you close your eyes for a moment? I just feel the Holy Ghost. I feel conviction in this place. I feel the tug of God on somebody's heart right now. You need to know hallelujah. I'm reminded of what Hebrews tells us. Hebrews 12:2 says, This had to be on God's mind. This had to be on the mind of Jesus. It says, For the joy. Someone say the joy. Come on, say it like you mean it, the joy. For was set before him he endured the cross despising the shame and he sat down at the right hand of the father right hand at the throne of God oh what this tells me is that even as Jesus was dying on the cross even as he hung there on top of Golgotha's hill oh it was the joy that was set before him and said I'm going to stay here on this cross I can call Oh, my, my, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. I feel the Holy Ghost right now. I could call a legion of angels if I want to. Ah, the other criminal on this side said, If you are the Son of God, then why don't you get us out of here? You don't think Jesus thought about that for a moment and said, I could end it right now? Just like some of you are going through trials and tribulations, and you're saying, Oh, wow, I would just like God to end it now. But for the joy that was set before Him, He endured the cross. What joy! The Joy of the Lord, the joy unspeakable and full of glory. You know that. Joy that you feel in your heart today is not because you woke up on the right side of the bed, it's because God is good and His mercy endureth forever. You are gonna make me preach harder than I have to today, you're gonna make me work harder. You should be more joyful than you're acting right now. Shame on you if I've got to preach like this and you don't get joy. Shame on you if it's all of this and you forget what God did for you we better not ever forget that he endured the cross and he died for our sins and he left us to the very end we ought to celebrate we ought to celebrate today we ought to not be ashamed to lift up our voices and to lift up our hands and to say thank you Jesus Oh, hallelujah! I mean no disrespect today, I mean no disrespect, don't be offended with the preacher today, I mean no disrespect, it's just that I'm tired of seeing a generation get excited about blessings and miracles. I'm tired of seeing a generation that'll dance around the floor for a new car, that'll dance around the building for a new job, that'll dance around the place for this and for that, a boyfriend or a girlfriend, whatever it is, and we don't know how to dance and we don't know how to shout and we don't know how to rejoice and and let God. God, move simply because of Calvary oh, oh God yeah. yeah even our songs today oh, oh we just sing about all kinds of stuff today oh no but we just and we took our focus where do we take our focus off the cross oh, oh you know with the blood it's woo oh i'm gonna date myself right now that's all right i'm old i'm just i'm just old now i don't care oh we used to sing songs like the blood for it reaches oh my god hey it reaches where does it reach brother some of y'all don't know the song you're gonna have to google it today but it reaches to the highest mountain I'll tell you what mountain it reaches, it's the Mount Calvary, it's the Mount Gagatha. and it flows to the lowest valley. What have I been preaching for the last three weeks? I've been preaching hills and valleys, hills and valleys. And I come to tell somebody today that the blood of Jesus can reach you no matter where you I said he can reach you no matter where you are.